Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the TAO Intentions Podcast. Our guest this evening is Manny Moraquino. He is a doctor currently in residence in Florida. He is from Ottawa. And I just wanted to talk to him about representing black doctors, what it means to be a black doctor, and what people need to know about the healthcare profession. So today's episode is going to be eventful and be good, and you'll learn a little bit more about this black doctor named Manny. All right, so my name is Orca Brown. I am the host of The Ambitious Obsession, and joining us today is Emmanuel, a black doctor. Welcome, Emmanuel. All right, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Thank you for coming in. I'm so glad with your busy schedule that you could make it to do the podcast episode. I know that the hospital right now is so busy and everyone is overworked, and I, I'm thankful that you made it today. Yeah, like I said, thank you so much for having me. This has been something I've been really excited to do. I mean, you approached me a little while about it, a little while ago about it, and uh, I just, I, I like what you've been doing with the podcast, and I'm uh, just more than happy to be part of it. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you listened. Um, so we're going to start the interview and just our normal conversations. Uh, people are going to, to realize, you know, how one of the reasons why you've been in my life for this long, even though we haven't talked for a few years, it's like every single time you and I speak, it feels like time has not passed. And so it's very nice to have people like that in your life that even though when life goes on, years could pass and you reconnect with somebody and it's like they never left. I agree, I agree. <laughs> so tell me about yourself, your background and where you are from. Um, so I was born in Nigeria. Uh, my family's Nigerian born. We moved to England when I was two years old. Um, and then when I was two, I was in England for about five years, and then we moved to Canada when I was seven. So I've been in Canada since 2000. Uh, we've lived in Edmonton. We've lived in we lived in some interesting spots. We lived in Akalo at Nunavut. We lived in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. And uh, at the moment, we call Ottawa home. We call Ottawa, Ontario home. Um, but I, uh, I ended up going to medical school in, well, I did my undergrad at the University of Ottawa. I studied health sciences. Uh, the initial plan was to kind of change the world through public health and policy and teach people how to be healthy and take care of themselves and empower them and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I ended up kind of taking the scenic route and I ended up applying to um, the St. George's School of Medicine in Grenada. And uh, uh, I did my medical school there and I'm now in Florida doing internal medicine rotation or internal medicine residency, excuse me. Uh, down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, that's kind of the the Coles Notes version of where of where we are now. Oh, of course, I remember visiting Florida because I have family there, my brother, right. my nephews, and and his wife, and I actually enjoyed Florida. I loved the weather. I just ended up driving around the whole time. I actually prefer Orlando over Miami. So which part of Florida are you in? So I'm in Jacksonville currently. Ah. I actually was in Miami for part of my clinical rotations. I haven't been to Orlando yet for whatever reason. I just haven't made the trip out there. It's, it's literally two hours away. Um, Universal Studios is just right there. But I just I haven't made my way out there for whatever reason. Well, honestly, one of my favorite places to go to in Orlando is Orlando Studios. So I yeah. really feel, or Universal Studios, I believe it's called. 
I really feel that you need to take a weekend off where you and your girl just drive out and check out Orlando Studios or sorry, Universal Studios. You are going to love it. I Every single time I go to Florida, Orlando, Florida, I always make it a point to go to Universal Studios. Trust me, she, she agrees. She agrees. She's been telling me. Okay, good. This girl is after my own heart. She's going to love it so much. Take mad amount of pictures because when I was there, I took a few and I didn't get as many pictures of myself in it. I think I took one picture in front of um, Harry Potter three brooms um, because they had a Harry Potter um, exhibit there. And I, I got a picture with myself there. I, I don't remember if my brother's in the picture, but I think there's a few pictures. I just have to find them. It's so hard to find, but I just want to redo it all over again with my brother and with my nephews and this time around to make it a bit more eventful. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to take you up on that. Okay, uh, good. Awesome. Or try to go at least for Christmas because you're going to have Whoville. Whoville's got to be open by then if your girlfriend Whoville, loves like, Whoville. Sorry? Whoville, like from the Grinch, like Dr. Seuss? Yes. They have a Dr. Oh, Seuss uh, okay. part there. Okay. And so okay. when I went, I went in the summertime, so it wasn't active. Um, so I have a feeling that, you know, they, they start they started all up, you know, closer to Christmas. So if you guys do end up going by then, she's going to love it if she's into that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're giving me some serious keys here. And I'm just going to take full credit for them, okay? Of course. She doesn't need to know. She doesn't need to know. <laughs> All right. So you said that you went to Grenada. You know, as an island girl, I haven't visited any other island other than Jamaica. Tell me about your experience uh, in, in Grenada. Um, it was really, really good. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, I'll be honest, I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have until I left. Um, the island is absolutely beautiful. It has some of the most pristine beaches. I mean, like, world-class, world-famous beaches, do you know what I mean? And it's one of those situations where you stay somewhere for a long enough time, you kind of forget how amazing the place that you live is until you leave. So the issue is that we were we were obviously studying a lot and we try and get out to things like Grand Dance Beach, but there's only so much that we can do. Um, but the, the the experience itself was pretty was pretty interesting. It was kind of like, because technically, you know, it, it was a bit of a us versus them was kind of the, the problem for a lot of people because a lot of us are coming from the States, North America, from Canada, and we're kind of coming into the island. And a lot of us, the only thing, the only connection that we had to Grenada was the med school. Um, and so it, it could sometimes come across to, to locals and to people who live there who called Grenada their actual home. It could come across that it was easy for a lot of American, North American, Canadian kids to kind of seem, you know, a little bit um, maybe selfish or arrogant, that type of thing. And as long as you had that kind of, for me and as for the other kids from, you know, from Canada and from the U.S., as long as you had that wherewithal, that cultural awareness to know that there are people who were here before you came, they're going to be here after you leave, but they have their own, like, enriched lives, it, it changes the experience for for, uh, for a lot of people. So I guess all I have to say that you could be on the island for school, you could have a two different experiences and as long as you go in with the mentality like this is actually in fact a beautiful island this is a beautiful place that people love to be it kind of lets you uh really really enjoy it properly and then it makes it easier to make like really good memories as well oh, i have full right. intention to do that. that's that sounds beautiful i'm glad that you enjoyed grenada for sure and i don't know hopefully when i go there one day myself um because i mean on my bucket list visiting all the islands is something that i really want to do not just jamaica 
it's just very difficult yeah. not to plan a trip to Jamaica first every single year. So I need to make that money so I can just do Jamaica and maybe another island for one year and then the next year Jamaica and then another island for another year. It's, yeah. Yes, yes it is. I know that um, one of the places I know I'm going to have to visit first is St. Lucia. Well, I haven't been. I, I know you haven't that'll, been. That will be good. <laughs> well, if you ever had the opportunity to, you should definitely check it out. Um, so what was your experience living in Europe? I knew that was a part of, of what you, you know, a part of your history. How, how was that experience? So, I mean, I was, I was really young, so I don't have the, the richest memories of it. Uh, but, uh, I do know, for example, when we moved to England, um, it was interesting because there was this kind of, you know, you get to England and you kind of realize that you're, as a Nigerian, you get to England, you realize that you're different from other people. You're different from the, the general, like, population. And so it was when we found, uh, excuse me, when we found, like, a community of other Nigerians, we really latched on, uh, latched on to that. And um, it, it made the experience really, really memorable in the sense that we had people who, we're in this brand new country. We didn't know anybody, but we had people who thought like us and looked like us, and they kind of showed us the ropes. They showed us where to go. They showed us, you know, where in Newcastle, where in the UK, where in London you wanted to be, where you wanted to kind of, you know, how you wanted to live in, in Europe, that kind of thing. And so, um, it was, uh, it was, it was enriching in that sense. Um, and then there was the flip side that you know, there were also people who unfortunately, uh, you know came in and we had there, there's always issues with visas for for africans and for immigrants and so there was the the kind of more like fun side of meeting people who look like you and they thought like you and they were like you know they sounded like your parents um but then there's also the sometimes i remember there was a concern now and again that you know somebody would knock on the door and You'd be warned as a kid, like, hey, don't obviously don't open the door to strangers. But for us, it was especially important to not <laughs> open the door to strangers because you might be at somebody's house and, you know, next thing you know, immigration is at the door for somebody because, I don't know, they overstayed their visa by, like, a week and a half or something. Maybe not as drastic as that, but, you know, kind of felt like that sometimes. So it was, uh, again, just all these experiences, you just kind of smash them together and, and make you who you are, I guess. Mm-hmm. That kind of sounds scary. I don't know how, how I would handle it, you know, spending a little bit longer past your visa and having someone knock on the door and try to, to basically send you back to your country. That's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah. My, my parents were very much my my parents thought this one out there. Like, listen, we're not we don't want to deal with that, and that's part of why we, that's actually why we moved to Canada eventually. Uh, because you know my, my parents realized that they didn't really want to live with that stress of you know who's knocking on your door? Is it immigration? Is it for is it immigration or is it anti Boosie? You know what I mean? Like you don't really know who it is at any given point. So um, so for them, they decided that as a unit, as a family, they were going to decide to leave the UK once the time came and they were going to figure out you know what life had in store for them afterwards and so my dad would tell me the story that at the time we could have gone in several directions he used to tell me that we applied to applied to canada we applied to apparently uh, uh, to australia i think he applied to germany i think um which i think would have been a hilarious uh, in, a, uh, in another universe you know me as a german little nigerian boy i think that would be very very funny <laughs> I, think, I think about that sometimes. I, I would love to hear you speak German, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so before you guys left, I mean, were you able to do any family vacations in Europe, not just England, but, you know, just travel around and visit outside of England? I, you know, in, in looking back, I wish we did a little bit more. We didn't, we didn't leave the UK as much as, you know, we might have liked to. Um, there were, you know, a couple limitations at the time my dad was on a, he was on a, a student visa because he was actually working on his PhD at the time. So he's on a student visa, and he had two kids with a third one while we were there. And so, you know, I, to my understanding, it was a little bit a little bit stretched at the time. So it was one of those things where we weren't priority wasn't so much travel when I was younger. Uh, but we did we did go in and around the UK a lot. We had friends in London. We had friends in Middleburg, uh, Middleborough. Sorry, we had friends in Liverpool. We had friends in Leeds. So we got to see we got to see a lot of the UK while we were there. Just maybe not as much of the rest of Europe as I would have liked. So. Now that's on my bucket list as a, as a as an adult to go and hit up more of Europe. Uh, hopefully, before everything falls apart. <laughs> that's true. Now you need to share your bucket list with me because you just brought it up. What is on? Where is on your bucket list, especially for Europe? Ooh, where it's on my bucket list. Okay, so I have I. So I'll tell you. I'll start with the places I have been. So. Amsterdam was on one. Um, Spain was on one. I've been to. Uh, we stopped in Italy. We we had an over and layover in Italy. We were in Milan for like a half a night, and at that point, I was like, I have to go to Italy or something. Um, just experience, just to say I was there. So Italy's on the list, Greece is on the list. I used to see these pictures of uh, Santorini, like Mykonos on Instagram. I was like, okay, I'm going. I still want to do, does Iceland counts as Europe, right? Yes, it does. It's on my list too. Yeah, so I still want to do Iceland. I still want to do the Blue Lagoon. I know it's no longer like in vogue or like trendy on Instagram or whatever, but it just looked amazing. I still want to do that. Um, and then I want to do Paris. Like everybody's going to do Paris at some point in your life. Apparently it's like a, a rite of passage or something or just a great experience. I'd love to do Paris as well. Of course. I think for me, I don't want to stay in Paris for a week or two because i heard that it's super expensive but i feel like i would maybe go to to spain and do an airbnb there and then just take the train to paris for like a weekend and enjoy paris that way i don't think i would stay there the entire time don't people say that like the south of france is supposed to be like even more romantic if you go to what counts as the south of france is it versailles or where is versailles Every time I hear people talk about the most romantic places in France, you know, I have to retire to the south of France, you know. <laughs> so I don't know what that is, but I'm looking for it. Okay. Well, in the future, just let me know so that yeah. I, you know, so I know where to visit. If I'm, if I end up going to Paris and Paris, France, and I don't want to stay in the city um, for the entire trip, mm-hmm. I would like to know where else I could go to truly enjoy France. Of course, I've got, so I pulled it up, I've got like Montpellier, I've got uh, Marseille, I've got Nice, you have to excuse my French accent, it's terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Saint-Tropez is another good one to go to, so. Okay. You know, I feel as we talk, thank you for this, this is good. Of course, I always have to ask people this question, because it tells a lot about a person, uh, depending on where they want to travel. You know what I mean? If you If someone is picking a lot of cities, and big cities with a large amount of population and the reasons why they want to go there. It kind of tells you who they are. And then I also know that I can never travel with them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, 
So the good news is I'm not. I have a thing for like the urban jungle. I could do very temporarily. You know, I've done New York for a while, and I realize that after a while, if it's too much hustle bustle, it gets suffocating. But the idea of like seeing the big city type of vibe, I've always enjoyed that. I went to.、Uh, I got really lucky a couple years ago. I went to Shanghai, and that was probably one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Well, you know what? Shanghai's on my list. My brother,、oh, yeah, like my older brother wants to go to Tokyo, Japan, and I'm like, I'll go for a weekend, you know, but I don't want to stay there. It's so busy. But yeah, fair. But Shanghai's on my list for sure. That's an international vibe. I mean, so we 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 didn't stay very long. I was uh, we saw like the Pearl Tower. We were at the Bund. The Bund by like Pudong in Shanghai is like it's like the expat central of Shanghai. It's phenomenal. It's a really good time. I would I'd go back in a heartbeat. Oh my goodness! Now you're making me want to go. I always thought, no way, I could never go to, to Shanghai. I I don't know. Singapore is now on my list. It's I I blame that movie. That movie was it Crazy Rich Asian? I'm like, yeah, you guys killed it for us. Yeah, I didn't see Crazy Rich Asians, but I saw Westworld, and and I think it was like the second or third season. That was where they kind of showed off. Sing, they were like, oh, this is this futuristic city. I was like, where is this? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a city. That's Sing. That, that's in Singapore right now. I said, this isn't CGI. They said, no, this is Singapore live. I have to go there. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to go to Dubai, but it's it's not a, a big a big deal for me to go or not. But after seeing Singapore, if I had to choose between Dubai or Singapore, I was definitely going to Singapore. I think I'm with you on that one. To be honest, I think. <laughs> really、uh, for sure. Um, when was the last time you visited back home, Nigeria? Oh, so、um, this is a, a soft spot for me. So we, the last time we went was two thousand,、uh, I think two thousand six, two thousand seven, and that was the last time I've gone. My parents have been back the last couple of years. They're really trying to foster this kind of connection with back home, and I, I just haven't had the chance to go in the last few years. I haven't had a chance to go with them. Um, but I remember when I did go, I think I was it was like thirteen, fourteen, and prior to that, I hadn't been to Nigeria since since I was two years old. So twelve years prior to that,、um, and、uh, you know, we we got there, we landed, and I just remember looking out through the windows of the plane, and I had this like overwhelming sensation of you know I'm home. You know, it was this kind of like nobody else on the planet is going to get me the way that this this. Piece of earth, this piece of land is gonna get me,、uh, and it's a very beautiful feeling. And I, I didn't know how to put it to words at the time. I just knew that I was connected to this piece of land. And then I proceeded to not go back、uh, for, <laughs> for like however many years. But it's it's that was the last time I was there, and I there's there's a deep deep part of me that's like calling me to go back. So that's、um, a very important you know important、uh, trip for me in the next year or so. Wow, you ha- you have a long bucket list, and then you add back home to it. I I、yeah. like that. <laughs> It's a good thing you're a doctor and making enough money. You're you're gonna have to、uh, pay for all of these travels. Listen, I got some debts to pay off before I get to do any of that. So It's still 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 a dream. All right. Do you feel that you kept most of your personal personality growing up? To the person you are now, I don't know if I, that question sounds very well, but the point of the question is, is that the personality that y- you had in Europe,、uh, growing up, do you feel that you are the same person you were back then? Now,、mm, I mean, I think fundamentally, fundamentally, yes, in the sense that I still, you know, you, you know, you develop. I, I think I developed a certain sense of curiosity.、Um, I think. 
think I developed a certain sense of kind of. I used to be. I used to be maybe a bit more curious, and I used to be a bit more talkative uh, when I was younger. Uh, so I, that's something I will say. Um, I think I'm a little bit less talkative now than I was uh, when I was younger, and I don't know. I don't know what changed per se. I don't know what kind of you know made that transition happen. Um, but I think, for example, that's one thing that you know has changed. But fundamentally, I think I'm still the same kind of gives everybody a chance type of person. I, I'm still the same kind of. I think I'm. I think I was warm then. I think I'm still warm now. You know. I think I was very friendly then. I think I'm still very friendly now. I think I'm still very, you know, if I'm given the room, still very inquisitive into the people who are around me. Um, if I feel, you know, whether safe enough or, or or receptive enough to do it, then I think I still have those traits. So in that sense, I don't think I've changed or lost any of those fundamental traits that were kind of central or intuitive to me. But I think maybe I've packaged it a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. is that a fair I think that's a fair way to put it. I think I probably packaged the way I was a little bit differently, maybe to kind of, you know, maybe to fit a narrative or maybe to fit the role that I've grown into. I think that's it right there. <laughs> well, all right. I I mean, I was just listening to what you said and I thought to myself, I can't recall you ever being talkative. Never, not once. And I met you in at University of Ottawa here in Ottawa and you are very quiet. You had this presence about you that if you walk into a room, people knew that you walked into the room and everyone would turn around and go, hey, it's Manny, you know what I mean? But other than that, you were not very talkative at all. So I'm trying to picture the little you compared to who I have met, and it's it sounds like the two opposite people. That's funny, I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that. That's, uh, that's a nice way to hear yourself describe. Um, yeah, I think I was probably like I said, I was I was you used to call me a bit of a chatterbox when I was younger. So I don't know, I don't know what happened. I used to get in trouble in class all the time because I wouldn't stop talking when I was a kid. Uh, so that's probably what happened. I probably got in trouble enough times, and I probably was told to you know pipe down enough times. I was like, you know what, you guys are gonna earn listening to me speak. So. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's a nice, I will say it's uh, I recall I think I recall uh, that period of time a little more I was kind of feeling I think that everyone goes through a period where they you know they feel the world out a little bit more and they kind of feel what's coming to them and maybe you know different people go through it at different stages of their life at different points in time um, I think definitely when I met you I was definitely at a point where you know I was trying to get engaged with more things so we met in terms of like the the West Indian Student Ensemble, if you remember, and that was the first time that uh, that was the first time actually that I had what I would call um, I was kind of the token black kid for a while. So that was the first time that I had like um, an academic, like really forward-thinking group of uh, black African Canadian, you know, Caribbean Canadian people my age to kind of interact with and kind of like pull ideas from, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in all honesty, in retrospect, that was, I think that there was maybe an element of, probably an element of intimidation, probably an element of like, I just want to hear what people have to say. Um, but I, I do, I, I, re- I recall getting like randomly worked up, you know, a certain thing. I recall getting like, somebody would suggest, you know, one question, for example, and I just, I, I don't have the question of mine, obviously, but you know, something would stir some kind of energy and then I would go back to being a little bit quiet and reserved and whatnot. But well, I don't know. 
I remember I remember Wise because I was uh, one of the executives and that's how I met you. But I just recall every single time I saw you, you were just surrounded by beautiful women. So I don't know about these supposed African guys or island guys that you were, you know, connecting with. You were just surrounded by beautiful island women. <laughs> something that I listen. We just keep on talking. Um, but but sincerely speaking of wise, that was that was actually a, I really appreciated. Uh, I don't think I ever got a chance to tell you or the uh, the group at the time. I really appreciated that you guys put that together. That was something that I think myself and a lot of other people really benefited from. I think that there's probably a lot of wise alumni who've gone on to do some pretty cool things and they, um, you know, that that group, that community that you guys created and that you guys forged really, really made an impact on some people's lives. I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you that or if you're aware of that. That's something that you guys built something that really, really touched a lot of people. Uh, Thank you. Grateful that you guys did that. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to make sure to send this podcast episode to Simone, who was the vice president, and I'll make sure Maisha got this um, this recording as well, and so she can actually hear what you know previous members maybe thought or felt, because this is something we'd never really heard from anyone. Yeah. We were just so busy. <laughs> it's been really encouraging to see what you know all of you guys are doing since then as well. Like you know, everyone's. I, I haven't kept up with my Easter per se, but I've been really impressed to see kind of what she's created out of her life. What Simone Simone was just on your podcast really recently, and that was a great, that was a really, really good experience to hear you guys talking, kind of catching up with you know with what you both created. Um, so it's it's cool to see, and then I you know I follow some of the other uh, some of the other exec, and you guys have you guys have done a lot. It's it, and it's not to I'm not surprised if I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm not surprised that you guys you know, built what you've all built from, from wise. Uh, you guys had talent and you guys had vision that maybe a lot of us didn't necessarily have. And I, yeah, I appreciate you guys putting that energy and that uh, vision into practice. Well, thank you. Hopefully one of these days I'll get my, Aisha on here as the president, <laughs> but you know, she just had a baby, so I don't think I she'll, yes. <laughs> she got married, she got the house and she got the baby. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to get her on here for maybe another year, but we'll see what happens. This podcast will still be going, but it would be great to, you know, just kind of invite some previous executives or maybe certain members that have really paved a way in the, in their industry onto the podcast. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking into that slowly, but you will be the first wise member that I have on this podcast to talk about being a doctor i didn't even know back then that you wanted to be a doctor of course i'm telling you you and simone and you're moving in silence Ugh, guys i'm sick of you both (laughs) um so sorry i was thinking it's the best way to be yeah that's true (laughs) i guess uh what were some of the values that you grew up with and how has that formed who you are today um, yeah, so you know, so I mentioned that my 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 family and I were in the UK, we were in Edmonton, we were in and and so one of the big things that came of that is that we we were very much a nuclear unit, you know. So there's this sense of uh, there's this it was a sense of collectivism in a sense um, where 
you know, for better or worse, obviously you, you do your best. And in retrospect, as an adult now, looking back on my parents' decisions, like I didn't love every decision they made at the time, but I can look back and I can honestly say that my parents made decisions because it was for the unit, for the family. You know what I mean? And so that's something that I've, I think I've picked up from them. I don't. I would like for if I'm ever in a group interacting with people, if I'm ever um, in a team setting, I really, really want to do things that will take the team, take the unit forward. Um, if that's a big thing that I can do, or if it's something very, very small, like I just, I would like to be in a position that I can move the team forward a little bit. And so that's one major value that I think um, that I picked up from from you know my family, from my youth, from my upbringing. Um, anything that focuses on like uplifting the group, uplifting the community look like me and think like me if I can do that then that's my essentially my goal um, so that and then that that shoots off into things like obviously you have to be equitable you have to be fair to people you have to be considerate of people um, obviously you have to be uh, someone who looks out for other people you have to be kind and just you know what I mean yeah so you know I, I think at the end of the day it's, there's a, a certain like I, I use the word collectivism, where the decisions that I make hopefully are not just for me. Hopefully, I take other people into consideration. I understand the interdependence of the people around me when I decide or when I do certain things. You know. Yeah, it sounds like you know you have some really strong core values, but I also could tell by what you're saying that you have strong family values as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. The family unit is definitely a very that a lot of strength and a lot of uh, I think that there's a lot of you know generational growth if I'm being really honest with you that comes from a, um, a family unit and I know that that's not uh, I know that's not the only way to grow as a community I know that's not the only way to grow as a, as a collective in terms of you know our people but I, I do think that for a lot of us I think myself included, a lot of us benefit from being able to go home and be like, I have a nuclear unit that is supporting me and that I can support and we're working together, you know. And then when those nuclear units come together and further support a greater collective, a greater cause, I think that there's a lot of generational growth that comes from that. So, yeah, I, I definitely I definitely have that, um, the importance of the family in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know that you are doing your residency and you're working in Florida. What are some of the vows that a doctor must make upon practicing? Oh, yeah. So the the major major tenets of medicine, it's like uh, autonomy, non-maleficence, uh, benevolence. They're like four major ones. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm forgetting the fourth. Somebody's going to be upset at me when they hear this. But I'll <laughs> tell you the first. Um, the, the, the four major major principles of medicine is like I'm going to respect I'm as a doctor as somebody who believes that they've as somebody who's done all this reading and done all the studying had all this exposure my role is not to be a paternalistic figure and tell you that you have to do such such and such I can present all the information to you I can present all the randomized clinical trials that I am aware of I can present all the case reports I can present all the evidence but at the end of the day when you and I come together in a clinical setting and I tell you that, you know, 
this medication is going to help your blood pressure in this way, or this medication is going to decrease your cholesterol in this way, and the reason that that's a good thing is because you decrease your risk of a heart attack because of this, this, this. I have to trust, uh, I have to respect your decision-making ability to make decisions for yourself. And so that's the principle of autonomy. So I can, you know, be blue in the face, but at the end of the day, I have to respect that you're also a, agent in the universe is capable of making their own decisions for their own body. Uh, so that's one. That's one of the oaths. And then uh, non-maleficence is a big one. So basically, first of all, do no harm, essentially. So, you know, my my goal, ideally, as a doctor, as ideally as somebody who considers himself some element of a healer, is to do no harm. So I have to weigh the risks and the benefits. And, uh, and this is where the, the clinical trials come in, because we attempt to quantify how much risk is there by giving you a certain medication. Uh, does the risk outweigh the benefits? Um, if the risk outweighs the benefits, then I'm not going to give you, and I should not give you that medication, unless there's like a really, really extenuating circumstance in which you need this medicine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so autonomy, uh, non-maleficence, and then benevolence. So my goal is to try and do the best for you that I can. My goal is to try and really um, uh, when I show up in a clinical setting, I really want to try and help you. That's 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 why that's why we do all this, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's it's uh, beneficent to you. Oh, and then the last one's justice, justice, justice. So this is a this is a whole other topic, obviously, but maybe not obviously. But justice is the is the fourth um, uh, pillar of medicine. I, I guess the reason I say it's a whole other topic is that you can you can go down a rabbit hole of a lot of the ways in which justice has not been uh, really held up mm-hmm. in medicine, which is really really unfortunate. Um, it's really really unfortunate all the ways that justice has not been held up in medicine. So, you know, at the end of the day, the idea is that you want to be fair to your patients. You want to be you want to treat. You know, if two people come in with multiple myeloma, one of them has one of them is very wealthy and one of them is not wealthy. Ideally, you want to treat them the same way. Ideally, ideally, you want to give them the same medication. You want to adjust to them because you understand that they're both sick. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes things get in the way. Um, mm-hmm. I know money, money is definitely a, a big motivation. Yeah. <laughs> it I'm is a huge. On a soapbox, so don't let me get started on that. But oh. that's. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the whole thing in and of itself. So yeah, so autonomy, uh, justice, beneficence, and non-maleficence. Those are the major, major four principles um, of medicine that we all kind of ascribe to, and we try to follow our whatever practice we end up going into. We really, really try to keep those. Um, I, I should say most of us really, really try to keep those at the center of our practice, at the center of um, what we do. Yeah, I think you know with the even when you're talking about the justice, my, I do understand that every doctor, including nurses, everyone knows that, you know, you're supposed to give the same amount of care to everyone. And I think due to, you know, a lot of cases maybe in the past where if you have a lot of money, you were going to get the best care compared to anyone else. And I think maybe they thought, okay, why don't we have life insurance? Um, be available to to help offset all of this but it turns out that you know if you if you have good amount of money your your life insurance is going to be spectacular and they didn't actually fix the problem that they had in the past with with monetary issues 
when it comes to care. So when the, now that insurance, health insurance companies are, are kind of doing the exact same thing, it's it's almost like it, it didn't really fix the problem. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's something that's very and the, the ironic thing is the irony is that the people who need the most care are they tend to be the people who have the least access. There's no other way around it. Um, in my clinical rotations and my residency, I've seen some of the you know like the like the worst cases of breast cancer, and it'll be in like you know it's incredibly advanced and it's in bad advanced because somebody didn't have access to uh you know primary care who could refer them to a surgeon who could do a lumpectomy with radiation and plus or minus adjuvant you know hormonal therapy um and it's and it just comes down to they needed the most but they had the least access and so that's that's there's a that's a painful thing to see on a regular basis and i i will say that i'm happy to see that there's a really big movement um, and it's one I'm, I'm really trying to get involved with. There's a big movement in medicine for equitable healthcare, um, uh, and you know people are trying to advocate for more and more patients who need the care that they they need the care that they get they need, but they don't have access to it for whatever reason. Whether it's from and this is where my health sciences background comes. In. Um, they have the they lack the access to this healthcare, whether it's because of a monetary issue, whether it's because of a health literacy issue, whether it's because of transportation, whether it's because of physical disability. Um, whether it's because they just, you know, never heard that they should get some, you know, get this mole or whatever this thing that's growing on their breast is checked out. Um, so there is, there is, you know, from the justice point of view, there's definitely a big movement for health equity. And that's something that excites me uh, a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that, you know, people come together and try to figure this out. Um, I know that with Obamacare, they were trying and to, to just kind of level it out a little bit. And I think just based on the conversation that they were having in the States uh, where Biden was uh, trying to become president of the United States and he wanted to just kind of get rid of healthcare insurance altogether because I, I feel like that was a conversation he wanted to have because it's not actually helping it that's just based on based on everything like yes he has that that health insurance and he has the best health insurance if anything happened to you know biden for example he'll be good anyone in his family will be covered under this very good health care health care package and so it, it doesn't cover the people at the bottom. So if he was able to do his own research and really do the calculations and started thinking about America as a whole when it comes to health insurance and, and the treatment of people coming in with maybe a, a basic package of health insurance, a middle package, and the best package altogether, when you do the statistics of, of the people at the basic package, you know, what kind of care are they getting? Are they being treated fairly, as fairly as everybody else who has a healthcare package or people who are coming into the hospital that don't have it because they can't afford it? How are they being treated? You start to kind of see that there is a problem. And so he thought maybe just getting rid of it and just having one basic one where everyone gets to pay into will will somehow prevent that discrimination that people experience going into a hospital. People automatically see, you know, a black and Indian or maybe an Asian person and they they're not necessarily going to give them the service first because they don't look rich. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a painful one because that's one that uh... 
you start talking about different biases that people come into in terms of, and I mean, listen, healthcare workers are human also. Healthcare workers fall privy to the same biases that the next person falls. Um, we really, a lot of us really like to think that we um, see the world in very, very logical and very uh, reasonable, rational terms. Um, but we bring a lot of biases. We bring a lot of, what you said is really important. We bring a lot of uh, baggage, a lot of bias, a lot of preconceived notions of people when we work in the hospital. And I've heard it. I've heard people talk about it. I've heard people make certain assumptions of people based on how they look or what they're wearing when they come in. And, it's, you know, it's it's not, I don't, it's, 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 it's difficult. I'm, I'm going to stop it there. It's, yes, I'm not going to go any further either. We might get in trouble. <laughs> We might get in trouble, so we're going to move on to the next question. <laughs> um, do you feel that this climate has put pressure for representation in all industry, uh, representation of Black, Asian, um, Indian, and why, why do you feel that representation is more important now than it, than it was back then? I, um, yeah, I, I, I can answer that relatively easily. I think representation has always been a important sense that the only way you're going to combat these preconceived notions is to see more people uh, who don't look like what you assume a role has to look like. Right? Um, there was uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite campaigns on Twitter. I love Twitter, man. It's so much chaos. But one of my favorite campaigns on Twitter a couple of years ago was this "Look Like a Doctor" hashtag "Look Like a Doctor." And um, basically, what it was is that there was a, you know people were saying, "Oh, I walk into a room and." Uh, somebody asked me if I'm a porter, or somebody asked me if I'm a nurse, or whatever. And then you get these responses from these, like, you know, you, you get these responses from these uh, older white guys who wore their white coats, and they'd say things like, oh, what were you wearing when you walked in? How were you dressed? Whatever, whatever. And it became this, it became very, very clear that people were, were uh, people were carrying a preconceived notion of what a doctor looks like into the hospital. So it has to be this guy who's in his 50s, he's got gray hair, he's got glasses, he's wearing his white coat, not a single tattoo, he's purely white, like, you know, nothing even remotely alternative. And so people started getting up in arms about it because, you know, obviously I don't have to wear... Uh, I don't have to have gray hair, and I don't have to be 50, I don't have to be white in order for me to be a doctor, right? I, I read the same textbooks as the next guy does. I read Harrison's, I read Cecil's, I read Mixap, I read all the same textbooks, right? And um, so it just became this thing where people really, really took, you know, they took up arms about the fact that representation was so important. And so what that did is that it kind of, it, it galvanized a bunch of younger kids. So it's been really cool to see in the last couple of years, it galvanized like all these younger kids who were like, man, screw you, I can be a doctor and look however I want to look. You know, I can be black as the night and be a doctor. I can, <laughs> you know, show up with purple hair and look like a doctor. And uh, so, and then, and then of course, uh, you know, I can be brown, I can be Asian, I can be whatever. The point is that it, it sort of smashing down the walls of uh, what are we assuming a doctor looks like, you know? Um, so representation matters. Representation has always mattered, um, but it's just one of those things that you need a couple people to trickle through it, to struggle through it, to kind of get the flack initially, and then they blast the door open for the next group of people who look more like them, who can further, you know, blast the door open, if not, you know, kind of exponentially, in a sense. Yes, and I do uh, agree with that because... That's something that even coming out of university, 
I I noticed that a lot of people say you have to, to dress for success. And yes, you do have to dress for success, but that the need to to present this front of of who you are or try to live up to a specific expectation that might not be yourself is difficult. It's a lot of pressure to look like everybody in your industry. Right, right. See, the thing for me wasn't, the issue wasn't so much that it's pressure to look like everyone in the industry. Like, for me, the concern was, why is it that there's such a narrow definition of what's valid in the industry? That's That was what always got me, you know what I mean? It's not that, uh, and because the, the narrow definition uh, was always just this kind of old white dude and his dress tie and his glasses, and that was it, you know? And it's not that it's a high standard, it's just that you're not allowed to look different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was what really, really got me. It's, listen, you, you, you've, seen, you've seen these old dudes who, you know, dress for their industry. It's not a high standard, you know. If you if you to really, really analyze what they're wearing and you're to put together the pieces. I, also, I know you have some fashionistas that are listening to this and they'll look at these <laughs> crusty old dudes and they'll tell you it's not a, it's not a quote-unquote high standard per se, but it's, the problem is that it's a very narrow standard. Problems that it doesn't allow for expression. The problems that it doesn't allow for the different variations of who is capable of thinking like a doctor, who is capable of thinking rationally and logically and analyzing patient's symptoms and what they're presenting with and comparing that to the illness script that they've read over the last couple of years. It doesn't take into consideration the fact that there's a broad spectrum of people who dress and look any given way who are all capable of thinking like that. You know, And so it's like you take this massive spectrum of people and you take a slice of them you take a sliver of them and you say okay you guys are acceptable the rest of you are unacceptable and that's what the problem is the problem is not that oh that sliver is somehow a high standard per se it's just that they look like the powers that be you know what i'm saying so i'm getting all emotional about this but they look like the powers that be is what matters you know yes so, that's that i understand so now we're that the powers that be and that's what the representation is the representation changes the powers that be i understand that it's true i do still feel that it's a lot of pressure to still walk in and know that this is what a doctor is supposed to look like and you don't fit in that mold because number one you're black you're not wearing glasses and you're not super old um as well so it's still a lot of pressure because now now you have to fight against the the stigma even though it's not, you know, people wouldn't say that it's a stigma. It's just a representation. But you have to fight against that. And sometimes it takes such a long time for people yeah. to, you know, you walk into a hospital as a resident and, and people to to not have to question why you're here. Right. And don't get me wrong. I don't mean that it's not pressure or that it's not hard. I just mean that I just mean that I, I personally think that the definition of what is good or acceptable is, is uh, archaic and very myopic. Is what I think. It's yes. not that it's you know in most industries, uh, you know, I've read the articles of, of women, especially black women, wearing their hair high, being told that their hair is not professional. For example, that is that is a pressure. That is a high pressure situation to say that I want to be able to express myself and be able to show that I'm capable of thinking like the next person who's you know gunning for a CEO position or gunning for that C-suite. That is a lot of pressure. Um, but for me, I, I I don't disagree that it's a lot of pressure. I just believe that it's it's unfair. I believe that it's just myopic. It's archaic. And, and I like seeing uh, I like seeing how we're redefining uh, what is professional and what is a doctor. What is a C-suite operative? You know, 
it's it's exciting to me. Okay, and um, I do have to ask this because I, I really want to to kind of hear your thought process behind this. But what does it mean uh, to to be a black doctor? Like, what does it mean to you? Um, this is this is growing. Yeah. So the I think the first the first time that I kind of came to terms with the um, the weight of what I was trying to do. And, and there's a lot of times where you'd be like, shit, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I want to leave. But I remember the first time I came to terms with the weight of what I was trying to do was in my, uh, my third year of medicine. I was in a pediatrics rotation. And this woman came in with her kid. She was black. Her kid was black. And I had my white coat on. I had my stethoscope around my neck. And I wasn't having a particularly great day. I didn't feel particularly confident in anything I was saying or doing that day. I was particularly tired, you know. Uh, and I had all these reasons to kind of not be as present as I wanted to be. But for whatever reason, I was like, oh, hey, man, what's up? And I was able to kind of interact with the kid. And I remember seeing, like, the joy on this little black kid's face. Like, the absolute, like, like maybe maybe I was reading too much into it, but I felt it, you know. I remember feeling his excitement that the guy putting the stethoscope on his chest looked like him. And he, he was, like, looking at me. He's like, looking at his mom in disbelief. And that's like, you know, that's something that reinforced my own uh, will to be there in a sense. Because it was like, all right, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but this guy is looking at me and he's saying, this is, you know, one of the coolest things I've seen in my life. (laughs) That's so cute. Yeah, and that was was it. That was when I realized, okay, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're struggling with, or you're you're exhausted from, you don't want to read these books, you want to throw the whole thing away, whatever it is, just remember that every time you show up, there's a little kid who looks like you and being told that he cannot do what he wants to do. And he looks at you and goes, that guy's doing it, and he looks just like me, you know. And I think that it goes for any, I think that goes for any, uh, black, brown, Indian, like person of color in these spaces where we've been historically told, like, listen, you don't belong here, you know. Anytime that you show up in your presence, regardless of how tired you are, exhausted you are, how much you want to give up, anytime that you just show up there, you'd be, you know, you'd be, you'd be surprised at who you're inspiring, who you're kind of pushing to just do a little bit more as well, you know. And so that was when I realized the weight of being a black doctor, you know. Yes. I understand that. And, you know, you telling me the story of this kid who just looked at you with, you know, big bright eyes and just could not believe it. Oh, my God. This doctor looks just like me. Just kind of makes, you know, it makes me want to cry a little bit. Dude, it was a very, it was a, I went home, I had a glass of wine and I was like, okay, we're going to do this one more day, you know, and then one (laughs) more day turned three more years and I'm still here doing it so yes and I'm really glad I'm so glad that that was a very deep heartfelt story that you shared with me and, I, and I'm so happy yeah. and I hope that the audience kind of you know feel how important it is to have a particular type of representation representation you know don't judge a book by its cover and that is something that you know we've been taught this a lot and we've heard this statement a lot to never judge a book by its cover because you know you could be in a store selling clothing and someone comes in looking like a bum and it turns out they're rich they are filthy rich they bought how much they bought at least a thousand dollars worth of stuff out of your store and all because you didn't judge a book by its cover i hope one day i'm super loaded and i can do <laughs> just walk in homeless and just like buy the store <laughs> I can see you doing that, but I feel like your traveling uh, expenses are going to put a damper on that. Your bucket list is huge. That's like my guilty fantasy. I'm like, you know, I just want to be like, one day I'm going to wake up and just walk into a store homeless. Anyways, that's that's another story. Okay. 
what uh, do people need to know about the healthcare profession? Um, great question. What do people need to know about? Uh, there's, there's a spectrum of care for a lot of things. I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, by the, time you, by the time you get to a hospital, by the time you require the use of a hospital, there's probably a lot of things uh, that you... How am I saying this? I'm trying to say this without sounding like I'm guilting people. What I'm trying to say is that before getting to a hospital, there are a lot of different things that people can do as far as taking care of their own health, obviously. Um, a lot of what we do, especially in primary care and like uh, family medicine, internal medicine, a lot of what we do is actually preventative medicine. Um, there's this idea of, you know, stitching time saves nine, that type of thing. So if I can, if I can uh, tell somebody early on that they should eat well and exercise and sleep well, I can actually save them, uh, you know, a visit to the hospital for a hypertensive crisis. I can save them a visit to the hospital for coronary artery disease that evolves into atherosclerotic, uh, sorry, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and a you know, cerebrovascular accident. Um, I can save them if I tell them to not smoke and I tell them to, uh, you know, live relatively healthy. I can prevent them from getting COPD and having severe COPD exacerbations. And these are things that once you go to the hospital for these things, your life expectancy decreases significantly because you're no longer, you know, you're going in for exacerbations of chronic diseases as opposed to, uh, you know, just standard wear and tear, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's where I stand as far as what people should know about the health healthcare system is you you can engage with it in different you know degrees and levels and spectrums um, and I think the preventative care has a really really big role uh, a bigger role than people um, maybe willing to or a bigger role than people will uh, you know admit in the healthcare system okay thank you for sharing that a lot of people aren't going to necessarily listen. We do know that a lot of of people smoke. We know they they take a lot of drugs just for coping mechanism. And then there's also people that drink to cope with the stress of, of going through life. And as much as they know they're not supposed to do it, they're still going to do it. But I, I just wanted to to still just have you, you talk about, you know, a little bit about healthcare profession and, and what people need to know about it and you are completely right a lot of people end up in the hospital because of, of things that maybe they've gotten addicted to because they were using it as a coping mechanism and then you know your body starts to fail and the doctors then have to try to figure out a way to, to save you from years and years of, of putting toxic things in your body and not exercising and not taking good care of yourself so I really do appreciate you you sharing that so that people can remember and understand that hey your health is in your hands it's not a doctor's job to to fix all your ailments but we try but at the end of the day your health is still in your hands okay perfect so that kind of concludes our our podcast episode where can or how can people follow you um so i'm on uh, i'm on instagram uh i'm on twitter pretty much everything's the same handle on instagram it's ianulive.md i've been thinking about changing the handle but i think i'm gonna leave it alone for now yeah uh, e for yeah. emmanuel hmm? e for emmanuel yeah but we'll see we'll see how i'm feeling about it let's see <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's it so yanulive.md i think it's the same twitter handle uh yanulive also um and i have a youtube I have a YouTube channel that I've been neglecting. I gotta nurture my YouTube channel, man. But, but you uh, still have videos up, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. I still have videos up. It's all the Yano Live, also. So uh, we can link it in like the show description and stuff because I mean that's not always easy to spell out. 
Um, uh, but yeah, you can interact with me on Instagram, Twitter. I get on LinkedIn now and again as well. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I love interacting with people. I'm really trying to get back to this place where, you know, I commune with people and share ideas with people. So I, if you have ideas or questions, please feel free to reach out. I'd love to just like, you know, shoot the shit, blast ideas back and forth. Of course. Um, I'm always, I'm to, I like to find any opportunity to learn as well. So. Of course. And I know that, you know, with COVID, I'm sure it just makes it a little bit harder for you to to really connect with people and, and to go out and just have a break. I'm sure the hospital is just swamped. Yeah, it's been we've been lucky in the sense that the last month or so started to, you know, to slow down a little bit in terms of intensity. Um, we have some concerns about going into like flu season on top of this. But listen, fingers crossed, I think. I'm hoping that we've seen the worst of it, um, but we just we react when we get there. Of course. Well, thank you for joining us. I do want you to come back as another, you know, another episode one of these days. Once we figure out what we really want to talk about, um, I do, you are more than welcome to come back. I would absolutely love to. And love to. you just you know everyone. Of course. And of course, hopefully, after you know a little bit closer to when things calm down a little bit, I would love for for the Ambitious Obsession YouTube channel to to collaborate with your YouTube channel at some point. I know it's only going to be, you know, either through StreamYard or Lives because you are in Florida and I am here in Canada, Ottawa. But I'm sure we'll make it work. Definitely, definitely, definitely. definitely. Where there's a will, there's a way, right? That's what they say. Exactly. So thank you so much for joining us in this podcast episode. Don't forget to follow him on Instagram, Twitter. I think he's on Facebook as well. And don't forget to follow, if you're a professional, and you're in the industry and you want to to connect uh, with someone that is on the journey that you are hoping to follow, please feel free to follow his LinkedIn account and uh, we can go from there. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this podcast episode. Don't forget to click the follow button under TAO Intentions Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Support all our guests by following their social media pages. Visit our social media pages for updates on our guests per week and our guests on the YouTube channel. Our social media pages are Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. Share your favorite podcast episodes with your family and friends and I hope you have a splendid day.